Hey everyone, this is Chad, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for stopping by our website, and thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. It will play in just a minute. Before it does, I want to take a minute and invite you to visit our church. As I said, I'm thankful that you're taking time to listen to this sermon, but listening to sermons online is no supplement for all of the great things that a local church can provide to you. If you're part of a church, I'm grateful for that, I'm thankful for that. And if you're not, I hope that you'll consider joining us on a Sunday morning if you live locally. We meet at 10 a.m. at Lowry Primary School. You can find all the details for that by clicking Sundays in this website's menu. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So the way that we do church and the way that I just personally would like to do church isn't always uh, 100% aligned. You may think like Chad gets to do whatever he wants, um, but that wouldn't be very wise of me. Uh, and, and so sometimes it's, it's not aligned, and uh, that's a good thing, and we'll get to that in a minute. But if you were to go back in time at this church when I was the pastor of, of the high school group and the young adult college ministry, uh, and you were to come to our young adult group on Thursday nights, you would have seen an expression of church that was vastly different than what we do here on a, on a Sunday, and uh, in a lot of ways, a really successful uh, way of doing church. And uh, let me just tell you how that, how that whole event went, and it might make you uncomfortable even talking about it, but it became oddly comfortable over time. Uh, so it was in an apartment, and, and we would fill up the apartment that a couple of us that are still at this church uh, lived in together. We were roommates. And, and people would come in, and we would have the lights off, maybe with like a candle somewhere, and nobody would say hi to people or welcome them or anything. And then our uh, music leader would start strumming a guitar, and, and then he, basically we just, I don't know how we created this culture. I don't even think we even prompted this at all. Uh, people would just get up and walk around the room and pray for each other, and, and nobody had even told them what to do or said anything. And this would go on for, like, you know, for most of you, an uncomfortably long time. And, and we would just sit there in the dark praying for one another. Even if you were new, you might just get prayed for. Like somebody would just walk up to you and, and start praying for you. And, uh, and, and the weird thing was, and then we would sing, and then I would do a little sermon, and then we would uh, hang out and have a good time together. Uh, and it was weird because... Because you would think like, wow, that was probably cool for the three of you involved, right? But it was growing at a rather rapid rate what we were doing. And at that time in our church's history, it was like starting to approach the size of our church, you know, this young adult ministry. Uh, And it was just so different. And it was cool and unique. And it was valuable because everybody was really participating. Now, when I look at the American church as a whole, and I think about, like, is this the way we should be doing it? 
One of the things that is really, really clear, for better or for worse, is that the American church is very Americanized, right? Like, it, just picture any kind of ethnic food that you want and, and then, you know, like, go have it in that country and you'll experience it very different. And in America, like, if you, if you uh, my, my cousins went to Thailand a year or so ago and they love Thai food, and they didn't really like Thai food in Thailand. It was not right. It wasn't Americanized. And, and the American church is a little bit that way, right? Like we've taken this Eastern thing, um, not Eastern in a modern sense, but coming out of the Middle East, right? Uh, and and we've, we've really turned it into something that fits with our cultural norms, that we do things in a way that, that is pretty comfortable for everybody. And I'm not even, and we'll see this in a second, I'm not saying that's totally wrong. I'm just saying that that's, that's kind of what it is. Our expression of church is very American. And in a lot of ways, that can be really good. Uh, at our church, we talk a lot, uh, not a lot, but we talk some about how, I say this, the church should be the most comfortable place for a non-Christian to come right up until we start to do church. And then it should be an uncomfortable place because you can't understand why a group of people would come and sing about salvation and grace and somebody dying if you don't really get it, right? I don't mean like you understand. I mean like really, really get it. And, and then, I mean, I, I, I've said this a couple of times recently. Every sermon I preach, if you're paying attention to what I'm really saying is, is, hey, you're going to hell if you don't believe what we believe. I don't say it like that. I try to say it in a way that uh, I think is more loving and gracious than that. But if you're really paying attention, you'll be like, wait, he's actually saying that if I don't believe that and I don't give my life to that, then I'll go to hell. That's kind of uncomfortable, right? That's a little different. And and so we, we try to Americanize this thing as much as possible. We try to make this as comfortable as possible. People are here from about 745 in large part so that it is Americanized and comfortable. And you have chairs, you know, something that you wouldn't have around the world. And then we launch into this service part of what we do. And I, I make that distinction sometimes between a gathering, which is from the moment you show up, you're taking part in a gathering of Christian people, a church gathering, and, and the service, that's when we get on stage and there's people leading you in music and all those things. And it's just clear that it's very Americanized. Uh, and that can be, I think, both both good and bad. And, and so today what we're going to do is something we haven't done in a long time. But we're going to, I know I talked about singing a few weeks ago and the importance of that. But uh, the Psalm series has led us to this passage of scripture that when I first became the pastor of this church was really important to what we did and really uh, is still important to what we do, although we haven't talked about it in a long time. Uh, and, and it's because this psalm passage, as we've been looking at the psalms, has led us to 1 Corinthians 14. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about what is supposed to take place in a church gathering he talks about some of the structural things that are, that are supposed to be a part of what we do when we, when we gather together. And so today as we look at, at Psalms, um, we're going to get there, trust me, uh, but we're really going to talk about what should this be like and are we doing it right? I think we're doing it okay, I'll give you a little preview, but, but, I, but are we doing it right and are we doing it in the best way? And I'm going to suggest a little bit of a change uh, in the middle of this. So 
If you were to look at, at 1 Corinthians, it's just one of the great church books. It's one of the most important uh, books as far as how we do church and what a church is and what a church should do and how people should interact within a church and all those things. It's, it's kind of an underrated book, in my opinion, um, because if you're a Christian, you're a part of church, and, and you should want to know what that's like, right? And, and so in chapter 11... Paul talks about women covering their heads and men not covering their heads in church. And we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, but it begins, uh, that if you want to talk about it, no trouble talking about it. It's not as controversial as it might feel when I say it out loud. But come email, email me or talk to me or whatever. But, but it launches into the section for Paul where he's not just talking about like what a church does and what a church is. But he's now talking about... What happens when a church gathers together? And so he begins that in chapter 11. We're not going to cover that. And in our passage today, kind of in the middle of it, another section we're not going to talk about, he, he says this thing about women not speaking in church. And if you read and you go, well, Chad just wanted to skip that. I studied it a ton. I've studied it a ton in the past. I feel really good about what I think about that. Women, you're allowed to talk. Um, but if you want to know why I think that, just uh, come up and talk to me after the service or again, send me an email. But in chapter 12, he launches into this idea of spiritual gifts. And, and basically what he says is if you're a Christian, then you have been uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit who has come inside of you who indwells you. You have been gifted by the Holy Spirit and you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit in order to serve your church. But specifically in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about this within the context of a group of people, a church gathering together. And so what Paul says is, look, all of you, every one of you have given your life to Jesus who have become Christians have been equipped, gifted, you've been given supernatural abilities in order to serve people specifically when you gather together like we do on Sunday mornings, like we're doing right now. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says it this way, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There's diversity so that we all together can benefit. And, and what's cool about that is there's this wonderful diversity, but there's also this wonderful unity or connection to say it the way we say it in our church. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, there should be no division in the body, but that his part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so we see this wonderful diversity that should be apparent when we gather together. Uh, diversity that, that hopefully goes across racial and gender and ethnic bounds. But, but is really because, uh, in Paul's language here, because we each have different spiritual gifts. And yet we should have incredible unity. So if somebody walks in and they're sad and broken hearted, the church comes around that and we feel sad and broken hearted. But if somebody's celebrating a new job or a new birth or whatever, we should be excited with them. That's the type of unity that should be present in the church. And then Paul builds on this in the next chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, a very famous passage of scripture that is oftentimes read at weddings. It's the love chapter. But what we don't think about, and the reason that I try to avoid it like the plague at weddings, is because I'm on this personal crusade to remind people that this is about church, specifically what happens 
in a church gathering. Some of you are laughing like you had it at your wedding, and I forgive you. Um, if you had that passage read at your wedding, I forgive you. Um, but it's primarily about a church, and it's, it's even more specifically about a church's gathering and when we gather together. And Paul says these incredible things about love, and, and we're not going to read all about it, but in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not love I am nothing if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love I gain nothing what Paul says is it doesn't matter how strong the spiritual gifts are within you and within a church if there's not love then none of these things matter and the church will not have the good that can come from the spiritual gifts if the church doesn't love each other isn't that cool And then he comes into chapter 14 before even really the passage that I want to focus on. And in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, a bunch of questions rise up, right? Like, hey, love, important, we got that. And, And by the way, let's just think about that. When we gather together, we should be, I mean, this should be the greatest expression of love that the world can see, that the world can possibly see. And I, I say this sometimes when I talk about the vision of our church and, and what we ought to be as a church, but uh, people will say things to the effect of, if I could only meet Jesus or see Jesus, but the New Testament has said that collectively we are the body of Christ and people should be able to walk into our midst and at least experience what the love of Jesus is like because they see the love that we have for each other and for them. And so love should drive every single church gathering, everything that we do in the service of church. But there's these other questions that come. First, like, eagerly desire the gifts. Like, wait, can we desire them? Should I be seeking to have the gift of prophecy? Should I be seeking these gifts? In fact, in a course that we've done that we're going to move to an online course uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, where where we help you know how you can serve our church. Um, We say, like, you don't get to choose your gifts. This isn't something you ask for. This is something you just receive. And so let me tell you the trick of this. What Paul is saying is that you collectively, we collectively as a church, should desire more and more of these gifts. We should be hoping that within our congregation we see prophecy and we see faith and we see people's ability to encourage and inspire and teaching and leading in music, I would add, although Paul doesn't include in the list. I mean, we should hope that in our church, because we want our church to be built up, we want the collective good, we should be hoping and even praying together that God increases the spiritual gifts that exist within our congregation. You see, as Americans, as American people, when we read... This, this thing here that says eagerly desire the gifts, which by the way is a plural verb, so it's like you guys desire the gifts to put it in our Northwestern vernacular. You guys desire the gifts, not you desire the gifts, but as Americans, when we read it, we read the whole Bible as it's spoken just to an individual because it's really hard for us, right, to think collectively. We're, we're individuals. But, and so when we read this, it's like, well, man, I should just desire the gifts, but no, 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 no. We should desire the gifts. I would say we should be praying, God, let there be people who just have such strong faith 
that they just believe us into a building on our church property, you know? I mean, they're just like, well, it doesn't seem like we get there today, but they're just like, well, yeah, God can do it, right? And and we should desire that people have the gift of prophecy that we'll talk about in a second. And, And just quickly, that's giving God's perspective on things. We should have people in our church that, that are like, well, here's what I think God would think about that, you know? And, and they're right. That's key. They're right when they say it. We should be desiring for more and more of the gifts of the Spirit and for these to be strong within our midst. But this other question. I mean, what is prophecy? And I just alluded to it, right? I mean, and we think of prophecy as somebody comes along and they tell the future, right? That's what you think of when you think of prophecy. But most of the time in the Bible, that's not actually the case. Most of the time in the Bible, and I've said this to you before, I've been around, prophecy is giving God's perspective on something. It isn't foretelling, as one of my professors would say. It's foretelling. And when you go back to the prophets in the old testament i mean they literally have the name prophet and you read those there's a little bit of like hey god will smite you if you don't change kind of language but most of the time it's like god will smite you if you don't change let me tell you why it's because he thinks that you're doing this wrong because your assemblies are not honoring him or because you've given in to adultery because you've married wives of uh you've you've married people who are foreigners and he told you not to and you're not obeying his commandments and all those things And so Paul says here, like, hey, you should desire the gifts, especially prophecy. And and I I think that why we're going to see why Paul is saying that. But what he's saying, like, what you should desire is that people would understand God's perspective on things, not that people should tell the future. I will tell you, I need to stop here, and, and we probably have people in our midst that think maybe the prophecy gift has gone away, and that's okay. We're varied in, in our theological nuances at this church, and, uh, and I like that about our church. It creates good dialogue and discussion, um, and I think it moves all of us probably, as long as uh, we're not allowing heretics to run around, it moves all of us closer to the right answers about what the Bible is communicating. Um, but some people would say that the gift of prophecy is gone, and I'm okay with you. But not that long ago, I think somebody spoke prophecy into my life. In this church, this Baptist church, it was incredible. And so somebody came up to me, and and with the most sincerity and and a quiet kind of spirit to them, they said, I think this might be weird, but I really think God's laid something on my heart to tell you. And now, if I show up at a church that's not my own, and somebody walks up to me and says that, I just shut it off. I'm like, oh, they're one of those churches. I got to go home, right? But this is a person that I like, that I've known for a while, that I respect, and I'm like, okay, shoot, you know, thinking somewhere, don't tell them. But like in the back of my mind, I don't know why I put my mind down there. In the back of my mind up here where my brain is, (laughs) in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is just going to be dumb. You know, that's kind of how I thought. And And then this person just said something that that answered questions for me, that encouraged me in some areas where I was feeling discouraged, and frankly now has actually proved true. I, I think it's proved true uh, what this person told me. And it mattered to me in deep ways. And it, it makes this more real to me, what Paul says, and less kind of Eastern and foreign and back then. But it was like that spoke to me in ways that that nobody could have spoken to me maybe with a Bible verse, you know. Um, and, and they had no idea what I was thinking and feeling in that moment. And, and then uh, 
let's just ask the third question. I mean, why this gift specifically? And let me tell you what was going on. In the Corinthian church, the people had been caught up in the pagan ecstasies that were around them. So they're looking around at temples and, and people in these temples are just babbling away and they're going nuts. They're going crazy. Yeah, this just wild party of a worship service, right? And, and they're like, wow, that seems so spiritual. That seems better than what we do where somebody leads a song and we sing along, you know? And like, cool, we want that. And, and then like, there's people in their church that have the gift of tongues, which is this heavenly language. And, and so the people are like, well, you can speak in tongues, so that's like really cool, right? And so it's turning into this wild deal of a church service, and the people want the gift of tongues more than they want any other gift because it's, it feels cool, right? I mean, it's like miraculous feeling, and they're like, wow, like we're better than the pagans, you know? I mean, look at us. Like, look how crazy this whole deal is. They were super wild. I mean, if you were to go back to chapter 12, you'd see that some of them were coming drunk to church while others of them didn't have enough to eat. I mean, it was, this was a party, man. This was getting crazy. But it was all centered around the gift of tongues. And they wanted this gift of tongues. And I'm sure as we see in a lot of churches today where the gift of tongues is, is emphasized too much, that probably a lot of people were even faking this gift of tongues, right? Just, just saying, well, look how cool this is and how spiritual it makes me seem. And Paul comes along and says, look, desire prophecy. Because, as we'll see, prophecy builds up the church. And this is what Paul really gets at. Prophecy builds up the church, but tongues only builds up the individual if there's no interpreter. I mean, listen to 14, 17, because I think this, this, this just needs to be paid attention to in the Americanized version of church. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. That, that right there, if you just pay attention to it, should be super convicting because we come into our church services and we say, well, what am I going to do, right? And I'm going to sing my songs and then I'll walk out and say, God, thank you for doing something for me. But, but the question is not, are we edified? And I don't think we're any worse or any better than a lot of the people in Corinth who are just... Just, you know, doing wild, crazy things because it filled them up or made them feel good. And Paul looks at them and says, yeah, you're doing a great job of individually worshiping God or at least an okay job. But other people aren't being edified by the gifts that you're expressing. That, right, I mean, just that alone, I hope that you're paying attention because it's probably all of us here have some of that in us where we come into a church service and we think, what can, I'm going to give my thanks and then I'm going to leave and I'm going to give my thanks again for what God did in me, if God did something in me, if he filled me or fed me or whatever, if I felt good about the songs, I'll thank God. But do you really ask, were other people edified? Was the church edified by what I did? The word edify is later in our passage translated built up, and it's a word for house building. And um, just to illustrate, I, I brought blocks um, because uh, I don't know why I did, but, uh, but I, I think it kind of matters. And so I was just picturing like building, right? And, and, and the gifts are used to, used to build, and, and there's a lot of stuff that can happen with building, right? There's, there's like a bunch of different roles within the context of it's going to get a little sketchy. Um, there's a bunch of different roles within the context of, of building something. And, and I, just, I just think about like how we all have different roles when we gather together. But it's all about, it's all about building. Like, like yesterday, uh, 
my brother-in-law Drew and I, the, the church stuff that we wheel in every Sunday had broken wheels. And, and so we spent some time building together, mainly me watching him build and giving him better ideas on how he could do a better job if, if he would just do it the way I have in my head. You know, that's how most of the things in our church go in every area of our church. like, wow, that's good, but let me tell you how it could be better. I'll be over here. But, but like we built something and you know what the building was? It wasn't creating something brand new. It was fixing something. And a lot of times when we gather together, there's hearts that need fixing. There's encouragement that needs done. And, and some of you come in and you say, well, I gave thanks well enough. But did you edify the people around you with your gift of encouragement? And, and, and some people do need to have great ideas, right? Because part of building is just having a plan. And I'm so thankful for the people who come here and say, hey, what if we did it this way? You know, even in the smallest things, like what if we did it this way? Like what if we don't build screens anymore and we just have this one above? That seems easier. Like that's super helpful and it helps us build as a church. And other people here just make it look good, right? Like, like there's structure, but people come in. And, and RJ this morning was helping put up chairs and RJ said, it's my goal to be the best chair putter downer at this church. Yeah. I said, RJ, you'll be here every week from now on. No, I mean, and actually, I think Daniel's that way. And I know when Drew does it, he's that way. And me too, but it's a, it's a, it's a goal that's too big for me and my ability to make things look good, you know. But, but I, I love that. Like some people just need to make it better. And it's not just in how we do it corporately. It's like, can you make somebody's life better just by offering them a psalm or whatever, just showing up and making this place a more fun place to be or a more encouraging or more inspiring place to be? I mean, there's just so many ways that, that we can build when we come together. And, and it's not just the service part, right? Like when I get up here, I'm trying to help build your life, you know, and, and you to move forward. We're trying to help you be personally sanctified. And the band is trying to lead you into an experience with God where you are interacting with him collectively. And we're trying to do that together. Where we're, we're expressing, as we even say in our mission statement, the glory of God. And um, But it's beyond that. It's you walking across the room and saying, like, you look down, I could build you up. Or it's you singing with your soul, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, because somebody else might get a but get a whiff of that and they might be inspired to worship God better and it's you helping set up and it's you investing in each other and, and making sure that people are loved and it's you walking up to the new person and saying hey hey like uh, you're new my name's Chad hey how's it going and 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 because as I was going to say some people are just good at making things bigger right like the structure's laid and it's down who can make it bigger and who can make it stronger but what Paul says is, is just so, like, right up front, like, hey, by the way, I know you feel good about your gifts of tongues and it makes you feel excited. <laughs> you're giving thanks well enough, but nobody else is being edified. You're showing up, you're having a great time, you enjoy your church service, you go home, but you're not actually building this thing up. Uh, we've only done this once so far, but as my kids get older, there's going to be two questions we ask when we leave church. Because the common question for me growing up, and I'm so thankful my family had me in church and we love Jesus and all that, but we were very bad about this, and I contributed. So this wasn't just, you know, my, the older people down. I would probably have said the same thing. But uh, the common question was, like, two questions. Like, hey, what did you think about church today? Basically, was it good or bad? And what did you think about the sermon? 
Right, these were kind of our questions. And basically, again, did he do a good job or a bad job? Like, did he tell enough jokes, you know? Was he inspiring? Was it a good story? All that stuff. Those were pretty much the questions we asked when we drove home. And so with my kids, because it should be your goal to do it better than your parents, by the way, while still recognizing that they did a great job, if they did a great job, and trying to build upon what they did, that should be the goal of all you young parents. And that's my goal. I, I've been blessed with great people raising me, but I'm also going to try to do it better than them. Um, part Partly because I'm competitive and I probably can, right? Uh, but here's the two questions that we're going to ask our kids as we drive home. We're going to ask this question. Why was church important to you? That's the first question. Not like, did you like it? Because that's just a dumb question. Who cares if Hazel liked church? Uh, I mean, was it important to you? And how was it important to you today? That's one question. But more to the point today, and I've asked this to Hazel already once, but what did you contribute to church today? When we gathered, I know you're feeling sorry for her already. <laughs> like, oh man, God helped that pastor's kid and the other one that Hudson hasn't had the question yet because he can't understand, but he will. Um, I mean, those are the questions. Why was that important? And what did you contribute to it? She couldn't honestly answer if she liked the sermon anyway, right? Because that'll just get her grounded if she says the wrong thing. But, but that's the reality for us because when we gather together, when we come here together, it isn't about just what we can get out of it. It isn't about giving thanks well enough. It's about edifying the church as a whole corporately and, and, and other people that are within it. In 1 Corinthians 24 and 25, he says this, and this is so important to what we do. But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Let me just make this clear. He's saying, look, desire prophecy because prophecy both edifies and evangelizes. That's super important, right? And when you think about coming here and using your gifts as an expression of love, then you should be thinking, how can I edify people and how can I evangelize those who might not know Jesus? And what makes it so important when we gather versus just every other you know, moment where you might have coffee with your church, people in our church, whatever, what makes this uniquely important is that God is with us in a special and unique way when we gather. I don't have time to tell you why I believe that. I've preached on it a lot. I've written on it a lot. Um, but let me just say, when the first people heard the word that Jesus said, on this church, on this rock, talking about Peter, I will build my church, this Greek word, ekklesia, what they would have heard, long story short, is a gathering of people who meet together consistently in the presence of God. It just would have been clear to them. I'm convinced of that. And so when we gather, man alive, like we gather in God's midst. And so if you're going to use your spiritual gifts at all to edify and evangelize, this is the best moment because you have God's presence in a unique way that you don't have when you're down at Starbucks trying to edify and evangelize. So let me just, again, before, and it's not going to be as long as this is going to make it sound, but before we get to the part of the sermon that I, uh, the part of this, this passage that I really want to focus on, let's just, let's just get this. You have a spiritual gift if you're a Christian. You've been uniquely equipped in a different way than I have to, to do work in this church. You should use that gift to benefit the church. That's the people in the church and the church as the whole. This requires love. And if you love, you'll do your best to benefit the church when you gather by using your gifts to both edify and evangelize. 
because God is uniquely present when we meet here. You with me? Okay. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And so we get a glimpse all of a sudden into not just the gathering of the early church, but the service of the early church. And what you see is vastly different than the Americanized version of what we see today. He says, when you gather, each of you come with a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. What we see, the implication of this, is that for the early church, what took place was that all the Christians who were coming together, who were spiritually gifted and loved each other, they were all taking part in the service of the church, not just the gathering. And it's really fascinating to me because what it suggests to me is that each of you should be contributing to not just the gathering, but what we do in a service. And that's hard. I don't know what to do with it. Let me just be honest with you. Because here's the reality. If I ran this church service, if I said, look, as your pastor, we're going to do this just like we did that young adult group however many years ago. Well, all the people who used to be in that young adult group would be here next week, and then the rest of you wouldn't be, right? <laughs> you would be, that was the end of it. And, and early on in, in our church's history, I thought, what if we just duplicated that? And I thought, wow, none of our older people will be here anymore. And I value our older people. I like our older people. So what, what do we do? I'm trying not to look at any old people when I say that, right? Like, just stare at young people, Chad. Um, like, what, what are we going to do about that? And so I have this, this tension where I see that in an early church's service, the, the kind of organized part of the church that people contributed, and then I look at our own church and say, well, man, that's scary. Because if, I, I mean, this is, this is another thing I've pictured and thought about, and I knew a couple of guys who were at charismatic churches, and, and they, they kind of did this. They had an open mic in the middle of their service, and, and, and during this open mic, people could say their prophecies. And I'm like, yeah, never, never happening in our church. <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> because what do you think? Like, people are going to get up and say crazy stuff, right? Like, what's to stop the guy on the street from walking in and go, Jesus hates you all, prophecy. Like, what do I do with that as the pastor? Like, well, I'm going to try to be nice to this guy, but I got to get up there and say that he's not right. And, like, I can't imagine doing that, right? And so there's this tension in me. Like, man, this, what we do in America cannot be the absolutely best because we've turned you into spectators. And in the early church, they weren't spectators, they were participators. But I don't, like, what do we do? You know, like, how does that look? Not many of you would be comfortable. My biggest concern, actually, with the people who are at least here this morning, would not be that having an open mic, we would have people say crazy stuff. It's that none of you would get up. And then we're like, man, Holy Spirit must not be here today. You know, like, don't come to our church. And I think you, you probably at least kind of feel that, right? Like, like maybe especially for, for people that are, you know, my age and younger in our church, which is the majority of our church, you probably have felt 
Like, I, I would like to participate more. I feel like we should participate more. And you're more open to the idea of what we used to do in our young adult group. Like, we should be doing something, right? But I don't know how, because that would be weird if we just had a breakout prayer time, which we've done and before with our corporate church. But, I mean, like, there's this, hopefully, I mean, maybe now, maybe I created a new tension inside of you that you never felt before. But I should contribute to the service. But what does that even look like? How can I do it? All right, good. No, I mean, I, I don't have an answer, but let me, let, me, let me help us take a baby step this morning, right? Uh, because that's all I'm willing to go. And, and maybe it's not you who's not willing to go further, but, but as far as I'm willing to go this morning, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a baby step this morning. And, and, and this is how we get to uh, our psalm. And that word there that's translated him in our passage uh, it's, it's, a, it's the word psalmos, which is where we actually get the word psalm, right? That's the, uh, the Greek version of the word psalm. And there's debate about whether uh, this psalmos that Paul is talking about, there's a couple of different debates that rage with smarter people than me on this passage of Scripture. But, but one is, is he talking about a Christian hymn or is he talking about a psalm? And I think that's an unimportant debate because as we've seen, the word hymn for the early church would have included the Psalms. And as we'll see next week, I really hope you'll be here as we conclude this, this service for the early church. The Psalms were Christian hymns. I mean, they looked at the Psalms to teach about Jesus and to talk about Jesus and to express what they had seen and witnessed in Jesus. This was a normal part of the early church's experience. And so I would say hymn is a great translation because hymn inevitably implies the word Psalm. It's going to be a psalm. And so what we see here, the easiest one, right? Because it's hard for me to think like, I'm just going to let anybody teach that wants to teach. I don't even think that'd be right. And it's really hard for me to say, I'm going to let anybody prophesy. And man, like, it would take serious movement of the Holy Spirit for one of you to bust out in tongues and you better hope that there's a translator because if not, then I'm, I would get up and be like, please stop, or at least tap you on the shoulder, depending on my mood, and say, you need to stop unless somebody's going to translate. If the Holy Spirit moves in you, go for it, but you better hope there's a translator, you know? I mean, that's kind of our stance here. But those things are all like, or a prophecy, like, mm, I'm sorry. If you're sitting here and you're like, I have a prophecy right now, you can just understand that your pastor's too scared to let you get on stage and say it. <laughs> that's, that's the reality for our church. But a song, I was like, like, maybe I could get behind this, you know? And so, let me just say, like, I think that, that maybe we, we, can, we can do this. Like, like, we can open this up to share a psalm. The reason that this passage was brought into the series is because it's talking about psalms here, and it's talking about sharing a psalm within the, the corporate gathering, and it's talking about not me or just the band doing it is talking about everyone having the opportunity to to do that and so it seems in the early church that they were coming and at least part of it was that that they were they were sharing a psalm and they were singing it together now after this and we're going to come back to that just keep that in your heads we're going to return but after this comes a, a bunch of 
uh, details about the order of the church because the problem in Corinth, as I said earlier, is just turning into this wild party and Paul's saying like, like, you're all giving prophecy at once so nobody else is listening, right? Like you're just standing up and giving prophecy and, and a great summary is in verses 31 through 33 and I think this is why the American church has become so Americanized so easily because we can point to this passage for you can, excuse me, for you can all prophesy in turn, or another translation, one at a time, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Paul says there should be order to this deal. He says when you all talk at once, nobody's edified and nobody's evangelized. Because nobody can understand what you're doing, Right? But there should be order. People should take turns. People should do things in order. Why? Well, one, because you have control to do so. Even if the Holy Spirit's moving in you, it doesn't mean that you need to, to just start saying things. The Holy Spirit, and, and this is just wrong in, in the hyper-charismatic movement of today, the Holy Spirit's movement does not mean wild and crazy. And we oftentimes associate those two things. Like, if it's not wild and crazy, if people aren't crying, if people aren't, you know, saying things that they hadn't thought of before they showed up, then the Holy Spirit must not be moving, but that's just not true. And Paul says that the spirit of a prophet is in control, right? They have control on whether or not they let these things out and when they let these things out. So Paul says you need to do this orderly, but even more, he says, he says that the reason is because God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Gordon D. Fee says the character of one's deity is reflected in the character of one's worship. That's scary and inspiring all in one when people look at our worship service. They are getting a glimpse of what we think about God. The way that you go through this service that we're doing today reflects what you think about God. Which means you need to think rightly about God so that you can worship correctly, but it also means you need to worship correctly as you learn to think rightly about God. And he says, this is the way it is in all the churches, and so these people are going all willy-nilly. And so here's the deal. This should be orderly, but yet you should contribute. And the only way I'm ready to get involved with what this says is through songs. And so let me, let me say two things that I think we're just going gonna, gonna to make this. We're doing it right now. This is happening in our church. We're going to make uh, two changes. We're going to allow you first to request songs. Now, we've always allowed that. Let me just say that. Um, we did As the Deer just two weeks ago. And that's because somebody, like just a week before, said, hey, that's based on Psalms. I really love that song. Could we do that? We usually, and I'll talk about this in a second, we plan all of our, psalm, our songs for an entire series at our church. And so if the series is five weeks, then we have five weeks of songs planned. If it's two, then we do two. And there's a bunch of pragmatic reasons for that, like learning new songs and uh, making sure that we're coming back around and, and things like that. But, but we had one of the psalm songs the band was unable to do, and so we just plugged it right in. Uh, on kind of a different version of that same story, my own grandmother said, hey, I, I heard this song called I'll, I'll Lift My Eyes. It's the song like I'll lift my eyes to the maker of the mountains I can't climb. She said, I'd love to do that song. We said, okay. Uh, but one of the things we do at our church is that our, our music is, is connected to what we're 
what I'm teaching and what or Matt's teaching on other weeks. And, and, and so it was like a whole year. But we had it in our minds and we finally came to it where it, where it connected and it was right. And we had it in our heads and we said, okay, this is the spot. And, and we do that song now as it fits thematically with what we do in church. And so we've always been open to the idea of people sharing songs. In fact, we, we like the idea. Um, but we've never encouraged it, right? And so right now, for the first time, I think, uh, I'm saying, hey, we want you to come to us with songs and say, hey, I heard this song on the radio. I did this song as a kid. Uh, can we do this song in our church service? Now, you need to understand that we do, they're by theme. We do them for a whole series. We try to present the gospel through our music. We haven't been as good about that. You may not even notice that. It's subtle. It's probably only for Brandon and I's sake. But uh, we start with who God is and, and what we need. And, and then after my sermon, we do a song that's connected to Jesus and what he did for us. And then we finish with an upbeat song to kind of symbolize resurrection. Now you'll notice it. Uh, but you need to know that there's some rhyme to our reason, right? Like this has been thought out. We don't just get up here and, and do music. This is, this is all consistent. We try to be theocentric and not man-centric in the songs that we sing, although there is some opportunity for, for songs that do focus more on man as it expresses something about God. But with all that said, we want you to share songs with us. And if it fits, if it's right, we would love to do it. Don't be offended if we don't. It's not because we think that your song's dumb or we don't like it. It's that we're looking perhaps for an opportunity to share it with our congregation at the right time. Because just because the Holy Spirit leads you to something does not mean that it needs to be spontaneous, right? And so please, share a song with us. Ask us to do a song. Talk to Brandon. One more thing, sometimes our band has limitations. The primary limitation is time, and so there's an opportunity. There's not, sometimes they won't be able to do your song. That's just a reality. Uh, if they were all full-time staff, we'd do every song, but, but that's something that you need to have in mind too. Now, here's the other thing. I also want you to share a psalm. At the beginning of our services, uh, we do one song, Welcome. I'm giving you all the secrets of how this looks on the back end, right? Uh, a welcome uh, and announcements, and then we have this moment of reflection on most Sundays, right? This morning, Brand Brandon read a psalm to you, which was intentional, obviously. And then we, he didn't do this today, but often we give you uh, just a space there to, to set your hearts right and to prepare to sing to Jesus because we come in here with distractions and none of you sing the first song. And so we're trying to get you ready, you know, to do this. And, and so now what we would like is for you to, to say, like, hey, God's laid this psalm on my heart and, and to give it to us. And we'll try to get those psalms in at the beginning in that spot because we want you to share. It. And you could, you could do that. I mean, if nobody else has shared one, you could walk in on a Sunday and say, hey, here's a psalm that God has laid on my heart. And we'll say, okay, uh, we'll do it. We'll read it. We'll read it to set our minds right and to, to teach and admonish as we've seen and to speak to people through psalms and, and, and to teach us about Jesus as we'll see next week. I'm not ready to open up the mic for prophecy or anything like that, but I think that we can allow you pretty seamlessly to request songs and to share a psalm with us. But here's, here's what I, I just more, I, I don't want you just doing this because you like it, because that's not the point, right? You can give thanks well enough, but the, the whole goal is to evangelize and edify. And so if you're like, I think God has laid this psalm or this song on my heart to encourage this church or to speak to non-Christians, that's what we're looking for. Not I like it. 
Because you don't come here to get what you like. I don't come here and get what I like. I would probably be doing church with a handful of people in a dark room with a candle if I was doing what I liked. But I'm trying to edify and evangelize in the way that I lead us in gathering together. Now, you might ask one more question. How might I do that? You can go to creekside.me, as you can do with everything in our church. And in fact, I would like you to pull out your smartphones right now if you have them. Everybody get your smartphones out. Our church is very good about not looking at their phones while I preach, and I appreciate that. Um, Thank you for humoring me in that. But I realize some of you look for your Bibles, but uh, it's a surprising few amount of people. And I would like you to go to creekside.me on your web browsers. We cannot tell you the Wi-Fi password because we use the Wi-Fi and we don't want any of you to clog up our airwaves. But uh, on your LTE, go to creekside.me. You'll see that at least for right now at the top of the page, there are two oddly colored buttons. One says share a psalm or share a song and the other one says bring food to the Christmas party. (laughs) And so... For, for right now, super simple, there will always be a button from this day forward on creekside.me for you to easily share, and you can go to it on a web browser too on your computer, but it will be easy for you to share a psalm or a song. You can do it right up until we start church with the psalms. And I want you to participate in what we're doing, and I think this is just a small step to make that happen. If you all do that right now, then I'm going to get a bunch of emails, so don't start sharing your psalms quite yet. You're all still looking at your phones. <laughs> Should I wait? You there? Some of you have slow data, AT&T, you know, <laughs> uh, time to switch. <laughs> you sprint people are still like, creekside.me. I'd like to offer you one more quote that I think is really valuable. It is no great credit to the historical church that in opting for order, it opted for silencing of the ministry of the many. And in America, we've magnified that to the nth degree. And I hope that in our church, you can, know, you can just be a person that contributes to the gathering. I mean, that's just something you should do every time you come here saying, hey, what can I contribute? How can I evangelize and edify? I mean, what can I do to help people, to move people forward, to, to build us bigger, to, to make us stronger, to fix, to repair? I mean, what can I do to build this church and the people in it? But hopefully now you have at least a small way to actually contribute to the service. What happens is, as some of us get up on this stage we can do it through the gathering. If you're an encourager, encourage. If you're a person of strong faith, pray. If you're gifted as a server, serve. But we can also do it in our service now. Contribute by requesting a song and a psalm. And I hope you'll do that. Let me pray. Lord, uh, I know this is kind of a weird sermon because it's so corporate. And it's, uh, you know, it's really about how we do what we're doing, which is just a strange thing in general, Lord. But you know that it's my heart and it's the heart of the leadership of this church to do things the way that you want us to do them. And we've been trying to do that for years, Lord. You know that I can honestly say that our question most of the time is not what will work, what will grow us, what is easy, what do we like. It's, it's what does God want us to do. And I think, God, that if you were here with us, you would say the congregation should be participating more in the service, Lord. And I pray that you would help us do that. 
in every way that you want us to do it, but specifically, Lord, uh, just in, the, in this, this baby step, I hope that you'll bless this baby step of kind of faith that we're taking and, and you'll lay songs and psalms upon our hearts, God, so that we can no longer be just consumers, God, so that we can no longer be people that that are just in an audience, but we can be people, all of us, God, that contribute to what you want to do here, to what blesses your heart here, God. So bless, bless our efforts as we just take small steps. I pray that we would become the church that you want us to be. I pray that every person here, God, that isn't a Christian and doesn't have a spiritual gift would become one, and I pray for those that are Christians, God, that they would use them for our church to build it up, God, to edify and evangelize. And I pray they'd most specifically do that as we gather together. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, that you didn't come to this earth as a spectator, but you came here to save us, to build us up in a new way, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.